Under the Helmet. You'll do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. I'm telling you, man, you're leading the league in hydration. I got a Dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome to Under the Helmet. Look at some long-term player value in fantasy football. I'm your host, Chad Parsons. Got Katie Flower here, official show of uthdynasty.com. Week one is here and in the rear view. We had so much happen that probably perked your ears up, uh, just changed your expectation for what we thought we'd see. Now it's one data point, so we could look back easily in a month and say, that didn't mean anything. There's going to be plenty of false positives, false negatives in week one. Heck, this could be transposed to week six, and we see a bunch of crazy outcomes because it's one football game uh, of sample size. Um, Katie, what is one thing that you did not expect to see in week one? Could be a poor, poor performance, could be a great one, could be a depth chart. That, that panned out, at least in this one game, differently than expected. But uh, it, it's basically, uh, Jordan and I call it overreaction theater because we, the, week one, the post-week one show is exactly that. Anything you take with big, massive takeaways beyond, say, injuries or maybe a depth chart standing uh, is going to be overreaction probably to some degree. Yeah, I would say my biggest... Uh, strange situation was Pittsburgh beating Cincinnati and the way that they did. I mean, five turnovers from Joe Burrow. That's not even when I call him average Joe, that's below average below, Joe. Average Joe and uh, I don't think that's the norm, especially coming off a Super Bowl appearance and Pittsburgh, their offensive line really stinks. So I didn't, I figured Cincinnati's defense would do a better job getting to Trubisky and he, he, look pretty decent that Steelers offense yeah. looked pretty decent overall but their defense really really just surprised me um I'm not going to overreact yes T Higgins got a concussion and he was out Tyler Boyd filled in fairly good Jamar Chase was who we thought he would be he was pretty dominant uh but Joe Burrow himself just five turnovers is hard to overcome yeah, it I was, was just a strange. It was a strange event. Well, I was surprised by the Trubisky not wetting himself. Yeah, you know that yeah. that's a big spot divisional game, first game of the season, and Bengals have an improving and legit defense. And the fact that he was able to play nice, I'll say play nice. The yeah. fact that he was able to give catchable balls and run the offense to those weapons was an overt positive. Now, does it happen all the time? Not sure. Does he lose his job within the next month because of poor play? Absolutely, that's possible. But I was just surprised that he was able to play nice and play manager. And we've, I think, what that I think I had the Steelers last week when we talked about key questions, and it was, is he going to be, or is the quarterback situation there going to be good enough to make Deontay Johnson a regular guy in lineups? And is he going to supply something else? We saw Pat Fryermuth get deep for a catch. It doesn't take much at tight end. And Chase Claypool being used a little bit all over like a Debo Samuel and seeing George Pickens have a few chances. He saw a ton of snaps. And I think 
So that's the thing I'm sort of tracking is the how many routes are you running? How many snaps? And you know, it's not necessarily are you going to it doesn't always transpose straight to targets or straight to a big box score that that you stuff for fantasy. But I want to see are you integrally involved in the offense if that was your expectation or that's what you need to be at this point in your career. I think those are important steps. And then the other thing was Najee Harris, 24 hours after high ankle sprain, thinking in your head, he might be out a month and a half to, yeah, not very bad. He might play week two. <laughs> like That's the thing that got me. I thought it was going to be Jalen Warren season coming right. up in week two. And now he might still be on ice because uh, Najee Harris comes out there. So that's where, thank goodness, waivers are not Monday at noon and they are more Wednesday night because we need time to digest. And we're recording this on Monday. So the digestion uh, period is a lot less than we'll have two days from now. Yeah. Uh, but I think that Jalen Warren is for sure somebody that you want to own. He's oh, proven yeah. that he is the RB2 and and the guy that's behind Najee Harris. So if Harris gets re-injured, banged up, whatever, uh, you want to scoop him while maybe he won't go as high as he normally would have because of the news that Najee could be back for week two. But if you get the, if he's out there and you get the opportunity, I would take it. What do you have any long lasting? And this is a situation, honestly, with Dallas that is more long lasting because you have Dak Prescott out for a stretch of the season now. Uh, I think one of their their linemen uh, is going to miss time. We had wide receiver two questions. We didn't know what that passing game was going to be like. So these are systemic things that isn't a one-off. Oh well, they ran into a good team in Tampa Bay and they just you know got their got their got got their butts handed to them. It's not one of those situations. It looked like they got three points and they weren't going to do much more. Like even with Dak Prescott in there, it did not look like a very fertile situation. So now with Cooper Rush for a stretch, and maybe we even get down to Will Greer. Are there any takeaways for CeeDee Lamb, Zeke, Dalton Schultz, others that you're actually going to push forward and say, this is the new reality, and this is where we sit with player value? Yeah, I don't want to rush to judgment, but I will say they've got Cincinnati next, and Cincinnati's going to be hungry, and uh, they're playing in Dallas, so that's at least an advantage there. But their offensive line was weak before they had a couple of injuries and with Dak out, uh, I think Zeke is going to be hurt by that. I think that CeeDee Lamb is going to be double teamed because Noah uh, Noah Brown, as much as I love him, and he played for Ohio State, and I loved him coming out as a rookie, even though he was kind of like a dark horse sleeper, he's finally starting to look fairly decent. But I don't think he's going to be enough to handle, uh, you know, you got Dalton Schultz. There's just so many pieces. I would not – they're going to end up like the Patriots in that on any given week – there's not a clarified start for any one of them. Then they got a couple of divisional opponents, and then they've got the Rams and Philadelphia. Philadelphia's looking really good. So their first half of the season with Dak out with those opponents, that's going to be tough. And they're going to always, their game script will be playing from behind, which is not all that great for Zeke. More for Tony Pollard and the pass catching, although Zeke can catch passes. But under duress, as much as, as Dak was, Rush is going to be also, I just don't see a good, I really am down on Dallas as a whole, not just for the first half of the season, but the entire season. Yeah. I wonder if the player most affected 
is going to be Ezekiel Elliott because of A, age, and B, how critical at 27 years old for a running back that season is. You know, that, that you're, you're kind of playing year-to-year redraft of continually reassessing how we feel about him. I wonder if right now you can throw out a second-round pick and maybe one other thing and get Ezekiel Elliott um, because he may be unstartable. He may be relatively unstartable going forward, but I will say he looked good, though. In week one, if you isolate him, the player, you saw he was clearly not healthy in a large part of the games he played last year, and you saw him healthy in week one. And I think that is a notable point. And one other point I will make about basically profile accumulation and acquisition is that he's an alt. Like You can say that you know you, you don't think he's a very good player or blah, blah, blah. But when you look at his profile, age 21 through 27, he's been an all-time player at the position and all time, meaning the last 20, 25 years that he has been one that has been, I think top 15 every single year. We'll see TBD on this year, but he has elite pedigree. He had an elite profile coming out of college and he's been an elite producer in the aggregate of this six year ish run to start his career. And that usually points to a guy that look at Melvin Gordon, 29 years old, still relevant. We've seen guys, LaDainian Tomlinson and others, be relevant into their 30s. So I wonder with Ezekiel Elliott, if and, and again, we're recording on Monday, so it's going to be till Wednesday or Thursday before we actually get some trade data points. But I would not be surprised if there's some people that are trading him for like a naked future second or something therein, which is a decent amount lower than seven days ago and surefire a lot lower than where he was going six months ago. Oh, I would not doubt that. I, I agree. There will be people that will panic based on the situation and in Superflex. Uh, again, I think that Dak two years ago had the ankle injury and had to have surgery. Now, two years later, he's got to have the thumb surgically repaired. Like he last year, I don't know. I think he wasn't fully healthy either, but he wasn't he wasn't horrible. It just, it, it changes everything. And you might be able to buy low on him. Uh, if somebody is short on quarterbacks, maybe in a couple of games, once they decide what else they've got, but, uh, I wouldn't even mind seeing trying to throw out some offers for Dak in Superflex. Yeah. I, I've actually heard some dialogue and I don't know if this was just national, you know, scuttlebutt, but it was just that, well, Dallas is going to be so bad. They're going to have a high pick, you know, and they're already talking about like contract outs. Like it's a college coach that the boosters can pay off to get the hell out of there. And, and I've just like, why would you run Dak out of the door? Like that, that is like nonsensical from a, a contract perspective, but B a, you're going to find better. Like even if you have a number seven overall pick, you, you're going to just easily find better in the draft. Good luck. Good luck with that, um, but yeah, I I, th- I think you're aiming you're aiming high and aiming for foreheads. You know that actually is you know can you get Dak right now for like a tight uh, a quarterback, you know fifteen price, I think would be the interesting part. It's like the Deshaun Watson profile accumulation of someday he will be playing and things will not be as horrible as they are looked at upon today, and you look beyond the current year, and can I just accrue profiles? So, and, and the interesting part is if you can do that without giving up your core, can you 
get someone like Dak Prescott or Deshaun Watson or you know trades like that without affecting your current top two quarterbacks, let's say. That's where you can truly win. Yeah, and they've got a pretty cushy second half of the season. So if Dak comes back healthy somewhere around... And Michael Gallup. Right, and Michael Gallup. Sometime around the Green Bay game, which is right after their bye week, uh, you know, they've got Green Bay, then Minnesota, then the Giants, then Indianapolis, Houston, Jacksonville. And then they've got Philadelphia. It's right in the middle of the fantasy playoffs, but then they've got Tennessee. So it's a doable second half of the season. And their offensive weapons with a healthy Dak could resurge in the second half of the year. But this first half of the year is going to be a tough, tough road while you're trying to jockey for a position in your league. And some people are are short-sighted and they don't look at this as dynasty as more than just, I got to see what I got to do to get through this year. And those are the ones that you want to trade with. On the flip side, we're kind of oscillate positive and negative here. On the yeah, flip yeah, side, yeah. Sequin Barkley looks oh, healthy. Yes. So love it. Love this, it. Is, this is a good example, right, of a player not being healthy. But if they ever are healthy, then you have to sit straight up in your chair. And it, this, is, this was not a week where Daniel Jones was good, where the, the Giants passing game was good. So that is not a mandate for Sequin Barkley being good. And I think this was just fuel for saying it's it's really tough to say i'm looking at the adp here i mean he closed the offseason at like running back 10 11 12 when there's a lot of question marks when you go beyond hardly anybody at running back i mean how high could you make an argument for him you don't do rankings but a 25 year old running back with barkley's profile looking like he's full on barkley i mean what's a reasonable you know is top 5 the easy answer, and there's an argument to be a little higher than that? Yes. Okay. And he's got an easy schedule. The Giants have the second easiest schedule in all of the NFL. Their next opponents are Carolina and Dallas at home, then Chicago at home, a little bit tougher. Their defense is fairly good, even if their offense doesn't do much. Then you then you're at Green Bay. Baltimore in week six is really going to be their first defensive test, but then they go back to Jacksonville, Seattle, they got to buy, then Houston, Detroit, Dallas, Washington. Uh, It's not until week 14 when they face Philadelphia that they've got a real test, but in the fantasy playoffs, they're playing Washington, Minnesota, and Indianapolis. So again, Saquon being healthy, with or without a good Daniel Jones, I mean, he, he looks so good. It was, I was so thrilled to see him. He looked like he was happy. Yeah. You could see it in his eyes on his face. He was excited. Well, and he's one of the few guys that can just beat the whole defense. You right. know, I mean, we've seen Jonathan Taylor just beat the defense. Like he has enough speed, he's just gone. And Barkley has a whole nother level of that. Like you're just not gonna catch him. He needs one, he needs one opening. And I was looking at this, I mean, I remember, and it's like, hey, get on Chad's knee. We're gonna tell stories about three years ago. But I remember it was basically Christian McCaffrey and Sequan Barkley. They were side-by-side in rankings a lot and way up there, high first. And neither one is there now, you know. and part of that is age-based. But I look at Najee Harris is only a year younger than Sequan Barkley and just watch those two players. I mean, Najee Harris looks like an aggregator and there's value to that. But Sequan Barkley is an elevator and there's a lot of value to that. And I don't think anyone would be surprised if we get to the end of this season and Sequan Barkley is 
a 20 plus point per game guy, you know, maybe even higher, and someone that is an absolute reason you did really well because he was a guy you didn't have last year, kind of like Chris McCaffrey. If you go from not having him to having him, it's a very big deal. Uh, you, you're adding almost two players because they're so high end at, at an important position like running back. Yes. Um, so, so I think Barkley still has an argument to be top two or three in dynasty running backs. I mean, you needed to see him healthy. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see if the situation still isn't very good, but it doesn't matter because he's really good. Exactly. I mean, just imagine though, if like Galladay actually was a presence downfield or, you know, Kadarius Tony had his head on straight and was healthy and, and Wondell Robinson does something like, just imagine if they actually had a certified competent top 24 passing game in the NFL, they don't have that, but just imagine, um, are you reacting at all for the Packers passing game? Are we concerned here? Is Aaron Rodgers going to be able to fix this? Was this just a bad game to start the year and let's get him in the lab Alan Lazard didn't play. He was their plan A at wide receiver. Tanyan was only partially healthy, finally coming back. I mean, was there just a lot of perfect storm here and they caught a divisional opponent that wanted to kick their butt? I think that's part of it. However, as I think one of mine might have been Green Bay or you might have on, on you know, who is going to be the wide receiver to even. Uh, but we saw Christian Watson have a wide open drop. And all I could think of is, yeah, it's like classic Christian Watson. The dude fights the ball. He's not a great. He got 10 yards open. (laughs) Yeah, he was wide open and just dropped the ball. That's not going to fly. Do you think if he catches that, that changes the game? Or is it literally just one? Do you believe in like the momentum theory of like, of like, if he catches that ball and braces into the end zone, the Packers mentally are a different team the rest of the game and it maybe goes differently? Maybe, but not as much in pro sports as yeah, you know, momentum in college sports or one or younger does make a huge difference. And and to a certain extent, even at the pro level. But no, I don't think that would have just magically turned things around. Aaron Rodgers was bullied. He was bloodied. He it was, was the offensive line versus the defensive line. He had tackles yeah. out. He let, let me know when his tackles are playing and they get this together. And then we'll see. I mean, all you need to know, and we love A.J. Dillon, but he led the team in receptions and yards. That's not supposed to happen. Maybe squinting Aaron Jones does that, but A.J. Dillon is not supposed to do that. That shows you how bad it was for the team to be even functional on offense. Right. And it doesn't get much better. They're playing the Bears this weekend. Then they're playing at Tampa Bay. They get a little bit of a reprieve. They're going to play New England, then the Giants, then the Jets, and then uh, Washington. But then they got to play Buffalo. So they've got to right the ship. And I don't think it's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. But if they get Alan Lazard back and they can start. Does does this actually give you more optimism on Lazard? That when he comes back, that we know these other guys, they got one chance, and at least so far, none of them look like the answer. That it's, Lazard has a better chance to be the answer because the answer is none of the above so far. That's part of it. But if okay. he was going to be the wide receiver one and isn't there, and then somebody else has to elevate in game one right. against a divisional rivalry at the divisional rival. It really changes how a rookie, I mean, y- you had two rookies. You had Dobbs and you had Watson in Finding there in a receiving names. floor. Right. And Sammy and- Watkins, who has been so on and off the radar, it, it seems like he's 35 years old. 
Exactly. So it's just, you can't get into a rhythm when you're still trying to figure out who is supposed to be your wide receiver one when that guy is injured. Even no, if he's that not guy's, the greatest. That, that guy's in Las Vegas. Let's be fair. Well, he I know that, that that was that, the thing. He went the, over there. He was the exact same guy for Derek Carr. They fed him a trillion targets. And Aaron Rodgers must have been like, God, that's so easy. He's like, it's so easy having Devontae Adams. Yes, but he's gone. Yeah. I'm just saying coming back. all I'm saying is that to get into any kind of rhythm, you need your players to be there. And none of those guys are wide receiver one. So they couldn't handle the role, especially against a division rival. If and when Alan Lazard is healthy, at least then they have the opportunity to be that wide receiver two, wide receiver three, and not double teamed and not, I mean, I still think their offensive line is going to have the same woes. And like I said, the next two games aren't going to be any easier. But then they do have at least four games in a row of a decent chance if they can get healthy, I don't think it's going to be, I don't even think Aaron Rodgers himself is going to be an auto start anymore in Superflex for at least two more games. Okay. You're going to be questioning whether you should play Jared Goff or Aaron Rodgers. You're going to be questioning whether you should play uh, even Jameis Winston or uh, or even Geno Smith, who's looking pretty good tonight, <laughs> or Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers... Just the name won't be the auto start until he can prove that those wide receivers can do a little something, something. Okay. Should we react or not react to the Rams offense? Not way back on Thursday. Not okay. They played, they played the hottest team in football right now. The bills showed, Hey, look, we're going to the super bowl this year. We, we are bust. Yeah. Yeah. We are the hype. We are everything that you want us to be. It's theirs to lose at this point. They look better than anybody else, bar none. Yes, Kansas City slaughtered uh, Arizona, and they looked they looked fairly good. And uh, you could say that there are other teams that that looked strong, but I did not see a more complete team, even better than Tampa Bay. I thought Buffalo had the best quarterback play, the best all around defense, offense, and Yes, the Rams are the defending champs, but the good news is they play Atlanta next week at yeah. home. Then they that, play. It at- feels like a get well game, right? I mean, yeah. it, it feels like watch watch it be a completely different conversation next Monday than this Monday because they they ran to a wood chipper. Literally, yeah. Buffalo was a wood chipper because guess what? They had their guy in Von Miller. Like it literally was the transitive property. You lost a guy. He went over there and he played you the next time the next week. So right. it, it feels like. You know they they had moving pieces. It was Cooper Cup, and then they go. We don't know what we have. Obviously, they didn't have Cam Akers. Like right. maybe six months ago, they were like Cam Akers is going to be our guy. And the closer they got to the season, they go Cam Akers isn't our guy, at least right now, or where he sits health wise or whatever. And Allen Robinson, new piece, but it's Cooper Cup and what? And guess what we saw in the game? Cooper Cup, and we we're not really sure. And then they ran into a team that punched him in the mouth. And that's what you get. That's what you get. You get your teeth kicked in and you you lick your wounds. You watch the tape on Monday, you said, or last Friday, and you say, we sucked. And here's all the things we have to do to get better. And fortunately, they play a much softer opponent. So that's going to help on a variety. And you know what? They'll probably put up 30 plus points and it'll be things as usual. 
please don't like if you were in a position that you started Allen Robinson last week, then you're probably putting him in again. I'm just going to say like you're pr- you probably don't have such a pivot that like he goes to an automatically don't put in your lineup and then you are going to have someone you feel so much better about last than last week. I'll just say. Yeah, I, I think that that would be a huge overreaction to just bench him because you're pissed off. Uh, they play Atlanta, then they play at Arizona. So two fairly decent matchups, San Francisco, then Dallas, then Carolina right before the bye. And then it gets tougher. But by then, you know, teams sometimes, even though they've got the preseason, it still takes a little bit for some teams to gel. I think that's all it was. They ran into a buzzsaw and they clearly couldn't get their uh, game script in order. And just to say how injuries are like fingerprints and they're all different. We have Cam Akers, who everyone expected is going to be just fine. And he does not seem just fine. You have James Robinson, Achilles, later last season. He looks just fine. (laughs) Right. Exactly. It's wild how that how that is. I mean, I couldn't believe Katie when I saw Chris Godwin playing, let alone being active, but playing, and now he's out with a hamstring. And first of all, I was like, why is he playing? First of all, right. B, but the fact that he was out there, unbelievable. There's such a wide spectrum of recoveries from player to player. Those that are cyborgs and come back like Adrian Peterson. And and others, and then some. It takes a long time. Like some of these, like James Robinson. We need to marvel at this. I mean, I want Etienne to get a bunch of snaps, but I mean, James Robinson looking as good as he did was unbelievable because he he wasn't an overt athlete anyway. He would be the type you figure he loses ten percent and he doesn't have a job in the NFL anymore, right? But now he not only had a job, he got the start over a first rounder. Pretty big story out of week one. I mean, it turned oh, yeah. into it turned into a committee, but just that was the thing. Like you know, Godwin being out there just a few months after injury, unbelievable. Um, yep. Are the Eagles the best offense in the NFL? Uh, I or do don't. They, know or do they just face the fighting Dan Campbells? And you know, I mean, they're going to give it up. I mean, they're a, they're a feisty defense, but the Eagles by far have the easiest schedule of any anybody. And uh, so I think that's going to help prop them up and and make them fantasy relevant. The funny thing is, is four targets for Devontae Smith, and he didn't. I didn't yeah. watch every target. I don't know if they were catchable balls or or what, but he was blanked. You know, one of their guys that we thought would be a stud. Now AJ Brown looked phenomenal, and Hurts uh, looked good. And well, everyone that had uh, AJ Brown as like wide receiver five in dynasty. Is probably probably glad handing everybody and slapping themselves on the back, right? Today for sure. Yeah. Did he score like twenty five points without a touchdown? Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I did start him in every place that oh, I yeah. had him. Yeah. Uh, but Philadelphia's schedule is fairly easy, even within their divisional opponents. They are the clear NFC East uh, topper, as far as I'm concerned. You know, especially now with Dak Prescott out. Uh, Washington, Carson Wentz looked good. Washington's offense looked pretty good, but um, I I don't think that they're any match for Philadelphia. We'll find out week three. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing that I wanted to discuss was I'm a little concerned about Alvin Kamara. Um, 
his lack of receiving involvement. And you know, like I don't one of my things is when I watch running backs that are clear lead backs that can do stuff in space. Jonathan Taylor's one of them, Kamara, obviously, you know, guys like Christian McCaffrey, um, that when they're not featured in the passing game, it really bothers me. Because getting guys like that in space is their bread and butter. I mean, they can make huge plays, they're safe plays, they're high percentage, run screens for them, get them out. I mean, you just if you go, if you watch all the targets for Antonio Gibson this week, I literally was yelling at the ceiling, finally, finally, it took it took getting to this point in his career to use him like he was used in college and like we thought he could be used. Dynamic, downfield, big targets. But Kamara's not gonna not getting those. And they have three good wide receivers. I just wonder if his targets take a dive. I mean, what where's he gonna score? How is he gonna score when he's getting interior, meaningless, empty calorie touches? God, it just bugs me the way I saw him being used. And that's a good question. I did not get, I was traveling on Sunday. I got to watch a little bit of NFL red zone, but I did not see a whole lot of the saints. I saw some of, some of the game, um, but not enough like you did. So I trust your judgment. I mean, it sounds like if you saw the first half of that game, James Winston had like five passing yards. It was so bad. They were the team that looked like they were asleep and then they turned it on and they had like 250 plus total yards in the second half. And frankly, they should have lost. But Jameis Winston turned it on. I really thought, like, what the the narrative in my head was, Jameis Winston's almost losing this job in one game. It was so bad, and yeah. he goes to a comeback win. Michael Thomas balling out in the second half, and Jarvis Landry playing really well. But Alvin Kamara was the guy left out. So I just want, I, I just want, if he's not catching. 50, 60, 70 passes. And that used to be the low end expectation for him this year. Where are we going with this? They're using him like a regular ho-hum running back. And all I've got to say, I didn't, again, I didn't see the game, but I won't over, I want to see three games. Right. If it's a trend through three games, then it's a trend right now. If he's got eight it, targets in three games, let's have a discussion. Right. Right now, the way that the game script, it sounds like they didn't do much in the first half and then they had to play catch up in the second half and it was more targeting the wide receivers than anything else. Right. Let's see if that continues. Uh, but personally, They've got Tampa Bay next weekend, so that that should be tough. But then they got Carolina, and uh, Minnesota has a, a good defense, or at least they showed that against Green Bay. I'm sure that they would do that against New Orleans as well. But uh, Tampa Bay should be tough. But we'll see how they how they do then, and then Carolina as far as the usage. If that doesn't pick up by the third, then yeah, I'll start to worry. Okay. Uh, final thoughts coming out of week one, heading into week two, uh, from the dynasty perspective, from the what I saw versus what my expectations were. Is there a critical player or team that you need to see something from that was different or affirming from week one as well this week? I'm a little bit more disappointed in the Patriots than I thought I would be. Uh, I I wasn't that thrilled with their running game, and it's not their typical. Patriots. Um, Mac Jones looked good at times, but then he also didn't look good. And it was Miami and Miami seems to have their number. So uh, I I don't know that I want very many or any of those pieces unless it's best ball. And at this point, you can't really change your team up, but you don't have to start them. I, I don't know that I would trust 
any of them, at least I want to see a trend before I start putting them into my lineups. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, they used Ty Montgomery a lot and yes. in the hurry up, uh, I think it was the two minute drill as well. So his snaps went way up. Ramondre Stevenson was that number two role and Damian Harris got the start, I think in both halves. And then as the half progressed, you didn't see him. And, and yeah, it seems like it's a, a team and a collection of good players, but there's like eight of them. And who knows way, the way the wind is going to blow and they're going to use them all in specific ways, specific packages. That was one thing. It was like, I don't know how many of these guys are startable, you know, but they're good players, but you just need maybe two or three injuries across the entire offense to kind of clear, clarify it down. Clarified and condense it. Yeah. You, yeah. you kind of need to, to kind of need to find your way there. I want to see, I have this, I have this hypothesis that, that I guess my final point is I'm going to run by you that I think we spend too much time and attention towards the 49ers backfield. And I think it's going to get proved out with Elijah Mitchell out. I think these reindeer games that we keep telling ourselves that it's predictable and that we're going to get clarified starts and that it's going to be fantasy viable and productive. I think they don't throw it to the running backs enough. I think with the way they're using Debo Samuel and the way they're going to use Trey Lance inside the five and 10 yard line and the way they might score from distance when they actually do score that there's not going to be a lot of touchdown opportunities, not a lot of passing opportunities. And then you say, well, is it going to be Jeff Wilson? Is it going to be Tyrion Davis Price? Is it going to be Jordan Mason? Is it going to be someone not even on the team right now? Are they going to somehow bring back to Michael Hasty or Trey Sermon or who knows what's going to happen? I just don't know if the end game of all the time and attention and roster spots that dynasty owners soak up with this depth chart because they want to catch lightning in a bottle and Elijah Mitchell for a chunk of the season was lightning in a bottle last year. I just wonder if we get to the end game and it's worth it. I'm going to make a statement. Yeah. Here's my bold prediction. I would rather have Jamal Williams as the RB two in Detroit over any of whoever is the RB one for any given week in San Francisco for the rest on of any the given day, for the rest of the season. Wow, look at that. Jamal Williams is legit, man. And that, he and is. That, and that team, that team uses the running back position. Exactly, exactly. The way that Cleveland does. You got Nick Chubb and you got Kareem Hunt. And, both they, bo- and they both eat, yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I, just think, I just think it's a trap. I think the 49ers backfield is a trap. And I'm not going to say they use it, they do it incorrectly. From an NFL perspective, I would probably do a similar thing. But... From a fantasy perspective, I think it's A, very frustrating, and B, it's like quicksand. And you keep getting sucked into getting guys thinking that, well, if I just had clarity and predictability, good luck. I think the moment you think you have it, they pull the rug and you don't have it. Whether it's by injury, by hook or by crook, basically. By injury yeah. or by just the a fumble or just the feelings uh, for that particular week on who the hot hand is. So that'd be the one thing is I think we're going to get down the road a little bit and the whole 49ers thing was a trap and a fugazi. And we have our first UTH best ball contest update here for the season. And it's Andy Rizzo. Uh, currently, as we record this through Monday Night Football, he should still be in the lead when we finish things out. But uh, Andy, congratulations. What a way to start your week and start the season up top of this contest. 
Carson Wentz and Jameis Winston are his two starting quarterbacks in the best ball lineup this week. Of course, he had four touchdowns for Carson Wentz. I'm really interested to see that Washington offense. And Jameis Winston, he pretty much put all that production up in a half. <laughs> so just know it could have been even better for Winston despite the slow start. He's got A.J. Dillon, who is a hugely popular player. I guess I didn't price him high enough. Like some of those UTH guys, I bump up a few extra dollars. I need to bump him up even more because like almost everyone in the contest took, took George Pickens and A.J. Dillon and just some of the guys we've talked about quite a bit. I will say, though, Andy, he, he paid up. He paid up for Justin Jefferson came through big time. He actually had some tepid performances at wide receiver, yet Justin Jefferson makes up for all of that <laughs> because he put up the, the production of two or three guys on his own this week. And one of the savvier picks, I think, you know, when we look back in a few months, is going to be Taysom Hill at tight end. He has a variety of ways to score and he's tight end eligible in this contest. He rushes the ball. He might score eight to 10 touchdowns for the year. So I think that's very interesting. And he didn't doesn't have an overly deep roster, so we will see. Andy, do you have the uh, do you get the right uh, the right uh, equation there of avoiding injuries and uh, big plays? He got Jameson Williams on ice for later in the year. He got a donut from Cole Komet, and Cortland Sutton is still playing. Got a couple catches so far in the early third quarter of Monday Night Football. So uh, he didn't have a lot of outs. He pretty much put his uh, startable, you know, just uh, of his startable guys. I mean, basically everyone played. Uh, and uh, congrats, congratulations, Andy, kicking it off first place in this contest. Both Katie and I uh, mentioned that we were in uh, the top 10. So we're off to pretty good starts here as well, but uh, pretty packed here. We didn't have you know one, one guy just lapping the field in week one. It's a long sprint of a contest. And thanks so much to My Fantasy League for uh, donating their hosting services, uh, as always, to UTH best ball contest in 2022. That's where 95% of my leagues are. Uh, I love all the features, all the ways you can customize it. If you're playing Devi, for example, uh, and just there's a number of twists and turns scoring wise and lineup wise that just you can't go somewhere else if you want to play your certain unique and customized formats. You want to talk with Katie in between episodes here, follow her at FF underscore Skylar 399. I am at Chad Parsons NFL. Reminder about subscribing. Uh, just had the first installment. Uh, I believe I went to bed at 3.34. So uh, UTH Film Notes is a little long this week. I think it was an hour 20. It's going to scale back. It's exciting. Week one, everything's new. Uh, week two, week three, it's going to be about uh, what are what things are changing from the previous week as I watch all, all the games so that you don't have to going through the seven, eight, nine hours of condensed games. First thing, Monday morning, you're going to have that. And I also am doing a, a few other different features, trying them out this this year, uh, where it's opportunity hunting. So I'm going to look at different snap shares, target shares, route shares for wide receiver, tight end, so that you have a good uh, basis there. Running back roundup, of course, is a show going through all 32 depth charts on a weekly basis. And uh, also have a quarterback and running back matrix for injury away that you're going to get to see it. It's a, a lot of information, very meaty, and that's going to be updated multiple times every week as needed there. So you dominate those positions in your premium formats. For Katie Flyer, myself, Chad Parsons, until next time, never settle, refuse to be average, and keep building those benefits. Royce Freeman, no, no, no. No, because Willis says no, no, no.